Welcome to the RevRec Gals podcast, where two consultants with over 30 years combined experience share stories about the implementation and challenges of revenue recognition accounting. I'm Susan. And I'm Natasha. And And we we are are the the RevRec Gals. Welcome back to the RevRec Gals podcast. This episode, we are going to continue our conversation about SSP, standalone selling price. So let's get into the methodology. And Susan, I think one of your favorite things is to talk about the bell curve. Can you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's so much to talk about about methodology. We'll preface it with the bell curve and then we'll get into that a little bit more later. When you're doing an SSP analysis, what I like to do is add a chart that shows your bell curve. Because what it does is it immediately tells you, are you on the right track? Pictures worth a thousand words, right? (laughs) Exactly. So do you have this beautiful, lovely bell-shaped curve? And that's what you're trying to get to because that's that's what's going to give you a view into your selling practices and help you define your compliance. Now, before you even get there, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made as to how you're going to do your SSP analysis. And this, again, like everything else, may be a reiterative process. First of all, are you going to use your percentage of list price or are you going to use your discount rate? Or it may be a stated amount. Sometimes when you have a system that's going to allocate for you, it's easier to say a stated amount. So even though you're coming up with this discount or this percentage of list price, it's easier to translate it into a stated amount. I just want to jump in there because I think that for some of our listeners, it might not be clear what we mean by all this. But so when you say a discount percentage versus a percent of list price, I think what you're saying is if there is a $100 list price item and you sell it typically for $90, your percent of list price is 90%, where your as your discount percentage is 10% and your stated amount would be 90. Exactly. And the reason that I bring that up is because when you're measuring compliance, we're allowed to have a range that we can say is our SSP. So even though we say SSP, it's a price range, not a specific number. In your example, your percentage of list price is 90 and your discount is 10. Well, when you're looking at a range of like 10%, a range of 10% off of 90 is 81 to 99 versus a range of 10% off of 10 is 9 to 11. By definition, you're giving yourself more of a range if you're using that percentage of list price. Assuming that your pricing is relatively close to your list price, because I'm sure I'm not alone in having seen customers that discount so heavily from their list price that you actually end up with a higher number when you flip it the other way. Exactly. And so that goes to what is your selling practice and what makes the most sense for your business. You don't necessarily have to have the same thing for every product or every stratification. 100%. That's so true. The auditors prefer it and they would push for it, but you, you have a case that you can push back. So that's one of the things you have to look at. Um, The next one would be, what is your range? Now, in the past, it's kind of been this 15% plus or minus. So if you take your your 90%, you would do times 1.15 or times 0.85, and that gets your range. I've seen where it goes up as high as 25%. 
So it really kind of depends on what your stratification is. I know there's a lot of residual from 605 where services don't get discounted very much and you still have high and kind of crazy discounts for hardware or software. And so your compliance rates aren't quite as clean. And so people will look at that range. One thing I want to point out is I know at one point ENY put out something saying, oh, it needs to be 80% compliant, you know, back in the 605 days. Oh, yes. And just 605, I'm like, wait, I haven't heard that. But it's still kind of in the back of some auditors' minds. And so I like to push back and say, that's not in the guidance. It's a rule of thumb and it's something that is great. And if you can get it, but there are a lot of times you just don't and you have to make an informed decision and you have to take other factors into account. I think it's such a good point of sort of this rule of thumb or this sort of legacy practice that has been generally accepted over the years. A lot of this methodology pulls from BSOE under 605, vendor-specific objective evidence, which had very specific rules. And that 80% was one of them. I did see people sort of lower it once or twice to like 70, but The gold standard was 80%. And anything below that, you lost your VSOE, you couldn't recognize revenue, it was a big deal. And so I think people have carried that over. And even the whole idea of doing a plus or minus 15% is not required by the guidance specifically. This is just a practice that has been sort of developed and handed down. I even think that some of the guidebooks out there from the big four talk about there shouldn't be some sort of arbitrary range just for the sake of picking a range. And maybe it doesn't make sense to do plus or minus 15%. I had one client that they use their list price as a starting point, which is what many, many people do, assuming they have a list price, but they use list price and they had a very strong practice of not discounting. We did add a range, but it didn't make sense to add 15% or 5% or 10% or some anything over list price because they almost, if they sold over list price, it was a rounding year more than anything, but it did make sense to come down some percentage from list price. And so this plus or minus 15%, 25%, it is standard practice and it's a good starting point, but I also think it's important to keep in mind What's our selling practice? What makes sense for this situation? What does that beautiful bell curve look like? And that gives us more information on how we should be, you know, maybe we start with the plus or minus 15, but then we have to do some analysis to say what actually makes sense here. Exactly. Well, the other thing with that range is, you know, we're talking about plus or minus 15% being as a relative value relative to the 90%, we're doing a percentage increase or decrease, but it can also be an absolute. I think we've both seen customers where they're 90% and their 10% range is plus 10 or minus 10. So it's actually 80 to 100 instead of that 81 to 99. And that's an interesting disparity in practice because I, even under 605, I think that people weren't clear and under 605, DSOE was much more strict once BESP came out, where we had more flexibility, which is also reflected in what we have under ASC 606, people do it differently and auditors do it differently. And if you ask different people, you will get a different response. I don't know that the guidebooks from the big four are explicit and the guidance certainly isn't explicit on what to use. So this is, I think, to your point, really, it makes a difference to use your judgment here. Because if you use the relative, for some numbers, it makes sense. 
but maybe if the numbers are too low, you're not going to get a range that makes sense. Yeah, that's why I like the absolute because your range stays the same. It doesn't get smaller as your number gets smaller. Also, what I find is you don't need plus or minus 15 or 20 because if you're doing plus or minus 10, you're already capturing a good quantity of transactions. So it's something that a lot of people, I think, don't think about and they should. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense that if you are 80% of list price, you have a bigger range than if you're 30% of list price. Ultimately, your SSP range is your SSP range. It doesn't sort of from a substance perspective make sense to have such smaller ranges, you know, as a proportion of list price. Well, that's why you go to that. Are you going to do the percentage of list price or the discount percent? It's going to give you a very different range and a very different answer. I honestly, I more commonly use the relative because I think people like that better. But especially if you have different methodologies across different products within the same organization, it just doesn't make sense. Well, I think it's just common. People are used to that. And that's what they think of when they think plus or minus 15%. Then the last question is frequency, both of the data that you're using and of how often you're going to do it. So we we talked in a prior episode about a lot of times people will use prior four quarters. So a rolling four quarters, but there are times when you just have too much data. And so you'll use maybe a quarter's worth of data or a month's worth of data. You had the example of a customer who sells pretty much list price, like a month's worth of data may still be an exam- a good example of the selling practices. You know, we sort of talked about this before too, is this idea that if you have stability in your pricing, maybe you don't have to revisit it as much. And maybe that sort of history of stability and knowing that you have the controls in place that you would become aware of any major shifts in your selling practices, which usually you are because your revenue department gets eyes on the contracts sometimes as they're being negotiated, certainly as they close, get put into the system. And so usually you become aware of any significant changes in products, selling practices, regions, et cetera. Hopefully you're even involved in that process. If you have that stable history and you have that involvement and sort of eyes on what's going on with the business, maybe you don't need to do it as much. Yeah, I find it interesting. My larger customers who are pretty stable with their selling practices, they do it religiously on a quarterly basis. Some of them will update quarterly. Others will just do a kind of a check-in to see if it's on track. And then my small customers who are just getting started and their pricing is all over the place, Yeah, you'll be dragging it out of them once a year to get them to do it. If you're lucky. Well, and it's funny because I think realistically and practically, it's a reflection of your resources. And as a small startup, they they just don't have the resources to dedicate to do it on a regular basis. They also may not have the volume, especially for newer products, only you know to look at quarterly data. Again, you could do a rolling four quarters. Whereas your big companies have those resources, have the department. I also sort of wonder if For the older companies that existed under 605, that could just be old habits dying hard because back when you had VSOE, you needed to do it on a quarterly basis because you really had to prove out you had it. Otherwise, your entire revenue recognition model would fall apart if you didn't have VSOE. That's not the case anymore. You know, at, at this point, 
when you change your SSP, if it shifts a little here or there, it's not going to, some cases it will be, but in many cases, a small shift over time is not going to become material very quickly, especially if you have stable pricing. And the thing is, you know, if it goes up two percentage points and down two percentage points, I mean, really, you're kind of in the same ballpark. Exactly. It's more of an operational nightmare to change it. You know, I've had clients that say, hey, we as a policy do not change our SSP because a lot of times it's embedded in their systems. It's in their revenue, you know, their revenue automation process. And they say, we're not changing our SSP unless our SSP analysis shows us there's a significant enough of a shift. And so they will pick an SSP that they feel is stable and good. And the analysis becomes just confirming that each quarter or each year. And only when it really starts to trend in a direction will they actually change it in their system. There's another piece of information that you want to think about when you're doing this SSP analysis. And it's what are you using as your calculation? The most common two are median and optimized. I have seen some people do average, but I find that it doesn't represent as well the range of selling prices. The difference being median is if you have 100 transactions, there are 50 on the left side of your bell curve and 50 on the right. That bell curve may not be a perfect bell. If it's a perfect bell, then when you look at your optimized, your optimized is going to be in that same spot. But if you have a bell curve that's maybe shifted to one side, your median is going to move toward that flatter side because there are transactions over there that are going to pull it. But what you're trying to do with optimize is you're trying to say, when I have this number with this range, where do I get the most transactions to fall into my range? And so really optimize gives you a better, more realistic number. But the reality is it's much more labor intensive to get to that number. Median is just a calculation. Optimized, what I do is I'll start with a median and then I will basically play around in like 5% increments to see where I get a higher compliance. What I have some clients do is they'll start with a median on everything. And then anything that doesn't have sort of a good compliance rate, they'll go then and look at the optimized as the next step to see if it gives them a better result. So that's another thing that people can think about is, do you want to do the median? Do you want to do optimized? Do you want to do a combination? You don't have to have every stratification as the same. I think that goes back to that iterative process. I think every time I've done an analysis, everyone does a median calculation because it's a quick Excel formula that everyone can do really easily. Most of mine will also do an average or a mean just because, again, it's a quick formula. I rarely ever end up using it, but it's sort of information on there that's helpful when, when looking at it. And then, you know, this idea of playing around with it and sort of looking at your compliance at different ranges, you know, starting with a median and a plus or minus 15%, I'd say is the most common approach I've seen. Often it's not where you end, it's where you start. And so you might play with, okay, plus or minus 15, maybe it's plus or minus 20. Maybe it's, like I said, you can't be arbitrary about it. If you're so close to list price, you can't, In most cases, I know there are companies out there that sell regularly above their list price, but most companies, you don't do that. And so it doesn't make sense to go up any higher. Maybe it makes sense to go down lower and expand on the low side. And so that idea of optimizing it, 
lots of different ways to get there, but you're really trying to see, do I have a range with a high enough compliance? And that compliance is different depending on the company. So for some companies, you have a very clear drop-off in your range. When you contract or expand your range, you get there's a very clear drop-off. You know, within a 10% range, you have 50% compliance, you bring it to 15% range on either side, you have a 70% compliance, and then you go to 20 and it's a 71% compliance. Okay, well, maybe it wasn't worth expanding anymore. And so you look at, okay, how far should I expand it? And where do I sort of see a drop off in how many are coming within compliance? I have one client that has a pretty pure praise model where that SSP range is like plus or minus one for most of their products, not all of them, but most. And then I have other clients who can barely get to 50% compliance with a 25% range. Well, that's where this bell curve is so handy because it visually tells you right away, if you have a nice bell-shaped curve and you've got, you know, your compliance is probably going to be good. Like you said, when you have customers that can barely get to 50%, they may have a good bell curve, but it's super flat. There's a lot of price differences. (laughs) You may also have a bell curve that's got multiple bells, you know, and so that's when you get into this reiterative of, do we actually have two stratifications here that we should be looking at? Yes. And I think that's where you kind of, you start and then you do it again and then you do it again. That's, you iterate. The beauty of the bell curve is that we'll sort of immediately tell you, oh, we really, we really need two stratifications here. Often it's not that clear. And so revisiting that data and saying, okay, what is it over here on this side? What is it over here on that side? Am I seeing a pattern? Oh, there's a ton of professional services at the low end or the high end. Maybe I should try taking those out into their own. Maybe it's a specific region. Maybe it's legacy contracts. It's one that I see a lot where you know, a company has grown and then there's all these weird prices that don't really make sense. And it turns out these are all legacy contracts. They have legacy pricing that really doesn't reflect today's selling price. And actually, maybe they don't really belong in the analysis at all because today's selling practices are not reflected by this legacy pricing. Yeah, speaking of stuff that doesn't belong, these bell curves can also tell you if there's an outlier. Maybe you had some, your biggest deal, you know, with some customer, it was like multi-million dollars and you gave them this incredible discount that nobody else has gotten. Those outliers, if they're one-offs, Maybe you need to just exclude them. Right. Because they don't apply to new transactions. Or they could be their own stratification. I've seen customers where they say, these top three customers are at such a high discount. We're going to give them their own stratification because their volume is just so big that it messes up the allocation when you end up allocating. Yeah, that's a great point because I've also had a client in sort of a similar boat where they just had a handful of very large transactions that just had to be treated completely different outside their normal SSP process. So 99.999% of their transactions went over one side with their normal SSP policies. And there was a handful of contracts that you just couldn't apply the same methodology. This concludes our discussion on SSP methodology. Before we go, here are the definitions of a few acronyms we used. SSP is Standalone Selling Price, and VSOE is Vendor-Specific Objective Evidence. 
As always, if there are areas where you would like us to dive in deeper or new topics to discuss, drop us an email at revretgals at gmail.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn or at revretgals.com. Thanks for listening. The examples discussed are based on specific company dynamics. Check in with your auditors before making changes to your current processes. Specializing in revenue recognition may result in employment for life. Please consult your friends and family before pursuing this career.